Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome listeners, Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com, episode 203, 2000. Three two hundred and three. <laughs> Gee, we'll be um, we'll be fairly old if we get to two thousand and three, won't we, Mark? Um, Friday, August the twentieth, two thousand and twenty-one. There you go. That's how I got confused, Mark. How are you, Mark? Great, Brendan. Just wonderful. Life is good. Good to hear. Well, life is good here. Although we're heading into a, another curfew here in Victoria, Australia, Melbourne. Um, for a couple of weeks to try and quash the Delta strain and numbers, Mark, um, while people get jabs in their arms and trying to get that herd immunity number, um, which... Gee, You've had your second get... shot, haven't you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I had my... Um, I'm fully vaccinated, um, supposedly. Um, so the good news is my second AstraZeneca injection was... Uneventful, Mark, which is probably the best thing to say because the first one, as you know, I don't know whether we spoke about it on the podcast, it did knock me for six and I actually ended up taking a full day off work, which is very unusual for me with a splitting headache and the shakes and the and the um, sweats, um, but perhaps it's a sign that my immune system was kicking in, Mark. So, um, yeah. So, yes, I've had my second vaccination, and you've had your first, haven't you? I've got my two. first shot, yep. And um, while I was fortunately spared the, the um, you know, the level of discomfort that you went through, it did, it did give me a few aches and pains and a bit of a headache for a bit. So, um, so yeah, I... I I hope that's just a sign my immune system is kicking in and yes. uh, reacting. Yes, we certainly do. And, yeah, um, our thoughts with all the countries where they still have much, many, many, many more cases than we have um, daily, Mark, um, than we have in Australia here. And um, we just hope we eventually all get this under control, this pandemic. Yes, so... I want to talk about um, a piece of equipment, Mark. I'm going to jump straight into a little review here. It's one that I've sort of been mulling over reviewing for a while, Mark, and um, we haven't spoken about it before before we went on air here, so um, you have no idea what I'm going to talk it's about, do you? Blind reaction. <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big genre in, um, in podcasts <laughs> and YouTube. Yes, that's right. TikTok. If only we had the video going for the recording <laughs> as well, Mark. Um, yes. Um, well, it's nothing too fancy, but it's it's a piece of equipment that I purchased not, um, a, a while ago and it took a while to arrive and I've just been trialling it for the last couple of weeks. And it's a, it's a fetal monitor, Mark, um, made for um, fathers and mothers or potential fathers and mothers to monitor the human fetus at home um so they're and they're basically it's gee they're they're available all over the place and i thought it'd be interesting to grab one of them and just potentially use it for a um just the basics you know um pop it on a snake's 
um, heart in a consult and and doing some basic sort of um, it's a little Doppler, you know, just sound, um, yeah. d- just listening um, to some of these n- non-critical patients, um, and because it's such a portable little battery-operated um, machine, but almost the size of. How's this for going back, Mark? An old transistor radio. Remember the old trannies? <laughs> <laughs> that, um, had a different um, meaning in those days. Um, that we'd um, listen to that AM, FM, um, or mainly AM, wasn't AM, it? Radio, mainly AM, yeah. Um, in those days, yeah. So, and um, for those of you who are, who are not our vintage, I suppose, the size of two packets of cigarettes for those <laughs> people who smoke yeah. put together. So fairly compact, Mark, and um, it's a three megahertz ultrasound. Um, so I, I slurp a little bit of ultrasound gel on it, and lo and behold, it it, it, it works reasonably well, um, and I've been quite happy with it. So um, I will be using it um, more frequently, and it probably will be used almost daily, I expect. Um, and well, the beauty of so this good. To, sorry to steal your thunder, but um, yes. I know you have, uh, like, uh, we have had a Parks Doppler, um, but you sort of reserve those for the critical patients. And, crikeys, over the years, we've smashed more ultrasound probes on the Park Doppler, um, and they're not cheap to replace. So if there's a, a uh, an alternative for a non-critical patient that gives you that extra information, that's an excellent addition, Brendan. Yes, I mean the actual probe itself is um, the, the the head of the probe. I don't know; it's about the size of a um, about the size of somebody's thumb um, or, or two thumbs, I suppose. Um, so it's 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 not as small as that Parks Doppler probe, but um, it's still certainly very usable um, size. And the 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 the, um, the final kicker with it, Mark, is that it's certainly inexpensive. I think it was something like. Um, $35 Australian. <laughs> That's excellent. Or $40. So incredibly um, um, cheap. And I, I think I bought it off eBay or, or one of those types of sites because I was just poking around one day at looking at electronic sort of gear and I thought, I wonder if that would work um, um, as a as a cheap um, Doppler. Um, so, Which yeah, species have you used it on? Sorry? Which species have you yeah, used Yeah, um, so a couple of reptiles and, and a couple of... Um, um, small mammals like a ferret, for instance, and a, and a um, rabbit or two. Yeah, so I haven't haven't used it on a heap at the moment, but um, it seems to it seems to work reasonably well. And also today I used it to confirm um, a euthanasia of a of a snake yeah. as well. So you know before and after giving the intracardiac euthanasia solution after sedating the animal. So yeah, so I was quite quite happy with it. So that's a fine. There you go. So that's my review, Mark, and um, probably eight, eight, eight point six, I'd say, out of ten, I'd give it. Excellent, excellent. That's a real find, Brendan. I, I, I do look forward to the things. I know, particularly in lockdown, and when you've got a bit of time on your hands, you uh, poke around on eBay and Alibaba and those shopping sites, and you do come up with some excellent finds. Yes, yes, and it's even better when they actually they don't end up being a whole lot of garbage and <laughs> just put in a, a drawer with all the other, you know, knickknacks that you thought were a good idea at the time. Yeah, so, yeah. So there you go. That's my review, Mark. Um, and my one and only 
news article is about Geronimo. Um, I don't know whether you'd read about Geronimo before um, I sent you the the agenda for, for the podcast. I have um, not, podcast, but, but it's um, a fascinating story. Yeah, Geronimo the alpaca is on death row in Britain. Um, so the verdict is that Geronimo must die, Mark. Um, and Geronimo is an alpaca that was imported where was he imported from new zealand back in 2017 and he originally tested negative for tuberculosis as part of the screening that he had to have but since then he's tested positive twice mark for bovine tuberculosis and there's been a um, battle in the courts with the owner um, who ended up going to the high court gee i'd like to see the the um, lawyer bill for this one, Mark, um, and it, um, they got knocked back and um, the verdict is that Geronimo needs to be euthanised. And there's a bit of a quote, and every 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 person, every um, farmer and every Prime Minister's <laughs> father has jumped in. So Boris Johnson's own father has said, um, pleaded with the government to give Geronimo a fighting chance by allowing a third test Um but there's a quote from the um, from the um, the head veterinarian um, who know who says that. Um, well, I sympathise with Ms McDonald's situation, which is the owner. We need to follow the scientific evidence and cull animals that have tested positive for TB to minimise the spread of this insidious disease and ultimately eradicate the biggest threat to animal health in this country, which is the UK. Interestingly enough, Mark, um, TB was um, the last known bovine TB case in Australia was 2002, Mark, and we've been fortunate to be one of the few countries in the world to have eradicated bovine TB. But, um, yeah, so a lot of celebrities have jumped on board, Mark, and I think it's is uh, um, not to be too cynical, but I think part of this is the old cute and cuddly um, too. You know, there's some pretty interesting pics there of Geronimo, and you can't help but have a bit of um, have a bit of um, your heart's strings pulled, Mark, when you see um, Geronimo there. But um, I think Geronimo's days are numbered. So, what do you think about this sort of thing, Mark? What's your thoughts on this? Um, I I. I feel that you've summarised it very well in that um, the, the, the loss of life for one animal is a tragedy. I, I completely accept that. And I don't dismiss lightly the emotions of the people that are around Geronimo. Um, but I'm certain that the, the net suffering, that is the total amount of, uh, of damage done both to welfare and to emotions that happens if Geronimo leads to a larger outbreak is significantly greater. And this is one of those situations where there's sort of no easy right or wrong. It's the option with the least suffering and pain. And um, the least doesn't mean there won't be any. Um, and yeah, so I think um, the greater good should prevail um, and the greater amount of welfare and, and um, uh, uh, good things in the world need to happen. And unfortunately for Geronimo, Geronimo that will mean, uh, well, no stay of execution. Yes, I think you're right there, Mark. Um, and the only other comment I have on this article is I can see where Boris Johnson 
<laughs> acquired his hair from uh, his 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 father Stanley Johnson. God, he's got the same mop of hair, hasn't he? So they've got good hair, it's, haven't they? It's the Johnsons. a bit eerie. Yes, it is. It's almost like they've they've grabbed his wig and yes. put it on top of his um, father. Yes. So Use this while you're in front of the cameras. Yes. So that's my news story, Mark. Brendan, my news story is um well, it's. It's a little bit sad, but also it's a celebration of life. Um, the oldest person in Australia, um, Dexter Kruger, passed away. He was 111 and 88 days, so halfway or nearly halfway to his 112th uh, birthday after his 111th. Um, one of the aspects of Dexter's life that... Um, makes it even more relevant to us is that um, he was a former grazier and a veterinary surgeon. Um, he was born in 1910 um, and celebrated the milestone of becoming Australia's oldest man just two months ago. Um, but unfortunately, he passed away peacefully last week. Um, and he was in Roma, which is um, actually not that far away from where Kate and I are at the moment. Um, he was a bit of a character, I reckon, Brendan. Um, he, um, Not he as much as a character as his son that most people know, Freddie. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't know his son better than old Dexter there. Uh, but, um, yes, sorry. <laughs> we've, we've taken the story about the peaceful passing and we've mixed up a whole <laughs> series of between Dexter and Freddie Krueger. We've, we've completely... <laughs> But um, I, I was aware of a story where um, where he, uh, in response, you know, obviously people of that age get asked all the time, what's the secret to your survival? Um, and he had this little, um, the chicken story. Yes. He loved to relate the, uh, the knowledge that uh, chickens have this tiny little brain and, um, and uh, you can crack the head open and, and uh, it's just a... a, a tiny mouthful but it's a yummy bit of the chicken and i think he quite rejoiced in um in causing reactions to you know to uh to uh, his stories he's also reported to have eaten um half a dozen prawns every day to have kept him alive so long so i think he was perfectly happy to lead people up the garden path a little bit and have a bit of a laugh at their expense it's interesting to contemplate though that he was alive um, when the Titanic sank, he lived through the Spanish flu pandemic. He lived through both world wars. Um, and, geez, he would have seen some. He's eaten a lot of chicken. <laughs> chicken <laughs> chicken and <some> prawns. Yes. <laughs> He's seen a lot of the world. Anyway, I, um, I uh, send the podcast condolences to his family and, um, and yeah, celebrate Dexter. his life. Yes, yes. Um, and... I think you're right, Mark, in that as as people get to that geriatric age, they start to lose their filter, don't they, as well? And I'm sure you've seen it with 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 relatives and 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 friends, etc. Where, um, yeah, they just they just blurt out whatever they they're thinking, um, don't they, as they get on? And I've certainly seen it with my relatives. Um, um, and I remember the, the um, one of our neighbours. Um, um, one I won't say which one. One of our neighbours, um, her 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 father recently died, and he reached one hundred, 
um, and in the last few years he was he was becoming more and more sort of outspoken and and she'd turn up to see him and she'd be running to running around to try and get there and as well as working and that and, and she'd turn up to the nursing home and he'd be and their voice gets louder and louder too doesn't it um, <laughs> And he'd be saying, look at you, you've let yourself go. What's happened to you? And he'd be um, screaming at the top of his voice in front of all the other other residents there. Although I expect that the percentage of them who have Alzheimer's, they probably forget what she, he said um, five minutes <laughs> later. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think part of it is you tend to lose your, your filter as you get older, as you've noticed with me, Mark, <laughs> over the last <laughs> few years. So, yes, Dexter, the veterinary surgeon, um, the oldest person in Australia, passed away at 111. Ah, perhaps, well, it would be nice to get there, Mark, um, as long as we still have most of our faculties, Mark. Um, which, which podcast would we be up to if, if we did make it? What, maybe we will be getting to that 2000s, Mark, if we're still going at that age, yes. Okay, so let's jump into our, our news story. Um, our main, our main story yep. is one that um, we had on the list for a while, but, and it's a good one, but we yeah, we thought we'd um, throw it in this week. And, it's, and it is dealing with fish hooks in wildlife and, and pets, so dealing with the, the problems of retrieving or what to do if you detect a fish hook in an animal presented in your vet clinic. And, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, isn't it, Mark, um, these cases? And there's, no, there's not one simple answer to these because there's so many different variations of not only species that we see them in but also... Um, methods of potential retrieval and, and some of them we may even not consider retrieval with them um, so where do we want to kick off with this one mark well i was going to say that it's um uh that where um sugarloaf is on the southern side of newcastle we're on the edge of lake macquarie and it's a very very uh popular uh estuarine lake uh for fishing um and so just about everyone, you know, spends some time down by the lake casting a, a, a baited hook on the end of a rod into the, into the lake. So it's been across my career a very, very common thing to have patients brought to us of all different sorts. Um, and look, I think it could be a relatively short podcast because the general principles are, you know, if it's if it's easily accessible, then um, uh, sedate or anaesthetise the animal and get it out. Um, and the basic principles that apply to, um, you know, say it was caught in a dog's lip, for example, the basic principles that apply to what would happen with a human, that is, um, infiltrate the area with local anaesthetic, desensitise it, drive it through so the barbed hook is exposed, cut it off, and then remove you can withdraw the hook then. Um, and so if any accessible location is there, that would be the technique that you would use. Um, for further down the digestive tract, obviously radiography is going to give you um, a, uh, a view of where it has ended up. And But there are some just peculiarities that happen in different species that uh, that are definitely worth having a quick talk about. Um, and there's a couple of, like you said, a couple of times I would, um, uh, well, like you said, maybe maybe we need to um, 
to just assess how much of an emergency it is at any given point. And I've got yes. some stories about um, our experience um, uh, that, that has often given me pause for thought, Brendan. Yes, well, the one the species I'd like you to sort of chat to me about and have a have a discussion is um, chelonians, bark turtles, and tortoises. Um, so I think it's always always an interesting um, debate. I suppose would be the word I'd use with um, wildlife vets when they're presented with um, these marine turtles, especially that um, would 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 um, be apparently in good condition and they're radiographed and they find a hook inside them um, because how long has that hook been there and is it causing problems um, for that individual and and do we jump in there and try and remove that hook or not um, with it and um, it's a difficult decision isn't it Mark for those ones? It is a difficult decision and, um, and the interesting thing I think is that um, We've looked at a number of um, animals at um, either surgery or post-mortem, and I would say a significant number of those animals have that have a hook lodged in the stomach, for example, the hook has gone through the, the mucosa and, the, and part of the muscularis, but it's generally not, in my experience, a perforating um, wound. Um, and I would estimate that 80% of the ones that, uh, that actually get caught in the stomach are, are hooked through the wall and haven't perforated the, the, um, the, 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 the stomach completely. So um, they can sit there in that situation for a very long time um, yes. and cause minimal... Um, complication to um, the animal, particularly if there's no, um, you know, no nylon um, fishing line attached or uh, any of the other paraphernalia. So it is a very difficult decision to make, Brendan. Yes, and they're a tricky one where, you know, if it's a, uh, even if you go that simple next, relatively simple next step in in um, trying to scope that animal for instance um, and seeing whether or not it is located where you think it is in the in that stomach there um, some of them you might decide oh look it's in great nick this animal and it's feeding well and um, it was brought in for whatever other reason there um, the decision might be say let's just give it the benefit of the odds and get it back out there um, and, and assume it might have been a hook that's been there for a while. Um, otherwise, we need to start looking, you know, is it a, is it a hook that's in, in a spot that is going to cause issues or not? Um, has it caused any obvious issues based on um, condition of the animal, um, radiographs, ultrasound, whatever, um, endoscopy, um, laparotomy? Um, and if it's something we need to consider getting out then that's when the real headache comes as far as i'm concerned Mark, with a lot of these i mean yes it's it, it, it'd be great if you get that classic case where um and i'm sure all of us um have seen the the techniques of removing fish hooks from esophagus um and and stomach um using the what it's a variation on little plastic what um tube or whatever to help help um um, um remove it there um 
Um, it's not <laughs> that simple, to... is it? It's not that simple, is it? Let me try. And, let me let me try and give a bit of a description. I, the thread so, in the thread in technique. Yes, and it yes. depends. It depends on the remaining nylon. You know, the the fishing line still being attached, and so a rigid tube a pl generally a plastic tube like a um, bit of plumbing pipe for instance exactly of an appropriate um, length and diameter we'll often when we attempted when we have attempted this we'll often um, pack the end that we're inserting toward the hook um, we'll pack it with cotton wool and tape it with um, with cohesive tape that sort of make like a giant cotton wool bud with a a hole through the middle um, and then thread the the uh, fishing line through the middle and um, pull it taut so that the end of, with the, the cotton wool on it is butted up against the hook and then at least theoretically if it's a relatively small catch on the mucosa um, a quick jab will release that and I'll, and then seat the hook in the cotton wool and you can slide it out it's it's one of those veterinary techniques that bloody hell it, you feel like a hero when they work but my experience is they probably work in less than a third of the cases um and two-thirds of them it's you know you rip the esophagus out and you think a bunch of worse stuff happens yeah yes. exactly yes. <laughs> yeah um so that's certainly one of the techniques that we have for for potentially and, and geez, if they're stuck in that esophageal region or or at the um, thoracic inlet mark, I mean, what other options do you have? Um, you make an so, attempt and and then it, consider euthanasia, I reckon, and and um, and particularly yep. for I'm I'm really loath in these. Like I love um, doing surgery on turtles, but bloody hell, anytime you do a celiotomy on a turtle, it is a major major undertaking with a year or two of aftercare um, and for a wild turtle uh, particularly a sea turtle I don't know that I can you know I know many of those species are critically threatened in the wild but uh, I don't know whether investing that effort into getting a fish hook out of a, a plastrotomy um, um, maybe I'd be tempted if we could do a um, a uh, um, endoscopy through the the um, limb spaces in the shell, Foss, but yep. geez, it's um uh, it the, the, each time I've had a look at one of those turtles, while theoretically it would be relatively easy to do, there the anatomy is difficult to manage in those locations. Yes, I agree. So let's talk. There was a couple of other species you wanted to chat about specifically, Mark, with these um, fish hooks. Well, interestingly enough, we see it a lot in Chelonians, but um, we also see it a lot in um, water birds, particularly pelicans. Um, and um, and pelicans seem to be, uh, you know, obviously uh, piscivorous, um, and um, and as a consequence of uh, of finding an easy meal. Uh, fish on a hook floundering around on the surface they'll often take those and um, and end up with the hooks inside them um, and so the they are wonderful they're probably um, I'm more 
prefer th- those guys coming in than the turtles because um, it's more often the case that we can do something about them. They do seem to catch the hook uh, much more frequently in a location that um, is going to be accessible. And um, certainly the the tube on the on the nylon on the fishing line that has been um, you know more successful in the in the um, the pelicans that we've seen than than I can say it's been in turtles. So um, there are a couple of additional reasons that they're more likely to uh, be amenable patients. The other thing is I find that. Um, uh, when we've looked at, uh, you know, we'll take radiographs of Chelonians that have maybe the long-necked turtle that's been hit by a car or every time a sea turtle was brought to the hospital, we'd take radiographs and the hooks might even be found as an incidental finding in that circumstance. And we have no access to the the fishing line. It's long since gone or um, certainly not hanging out of their mouth. Whereas um, in pelicans, it's much more frequently the case that we've got, uh, you know, a a few feet um, of the fishing line dangling out of the mouth that we can work with. Yes. They're a problem, aren't they, these these um, hooks? They're a problem. <laughs> so have you had um, many of these um, hooks that you've extracted from a dog's mouth, Mark? Have you had any of those? Very, very common for us to find. And I think the interesting thing there is that um, both our um, – our, uh, I suspect the majority of the turtles we see and the the um, the seabirds, the water birds, um, they're having a go at bait or maybe a fish that's been caught by bait and then get the hook um, separately. Dogs often, because they're searching for something smelly um, and looking for food that way, it's very common for them to have a sniff, smell the rotten bait on the... the um, uh, just the naked hook and lick at it or try and taste it. And so they more definitely more often um, come in in, you know, the upper lip or um, yep. uh, something like that. And so uh, they're always, um, you know, as we said, sedate them, uh, infiltrate the area with local, and they're often uh, very amenable to um, driving them through, cutting off the end and getting them out. And um, you do feel much more like a hero when you can do that. Yes. My other tip with dogs is um, that um, try to, I I would really, um, uh, you know, we we take radiographs to, you know, someone comes in and says, oh, my goodness, my Labrador has eaten a piece of bait and it had a hook in it and there's nothing there now. It's gone down into the stomach. Um, And so we'll take a radiograph. I think it's that's one of those situations where it is worth watching for a little bit of time to see. We've definitely had hooks that have gone all the way through and never jagged on the the intestinal mucosa and, and yeah. the peristalsis has pushed the bit of bone or whatever that uh, the hook is sitting in through, um, but it hasn't managed to hook anywhere in there. And so... That's where I was talking about maybe taking a radiograph um, and waiting an hour or two and taking another one to see if it is moving through the gut. That also means you've got a much more, if you take a radiograph and in the normal thing in a hospital, it's sort of an hour or two or three before you do this, the uh, 
uh, laparotomy, um, you could be opening up the stomach and there be no hook there. So I think an immediately proximate uh, contemporaneous radiograph uh, to the surgery time is a really, really useful tool and can prevent a little bit of end-to-end fishing for a hook. Um, if you're uh, if you've got a dog that gets it into the gastrointestinal tract down the esophagus, yes. So how do we prevent these, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to tell one quick other story before we talk about prevention, and that is, um, I don't know whether you've heard this. I've seen it happen once at a clinic I was looking at before we started Sugarloaf, um, an, an old an old veterinarian, you know, probably. Um, Dexter's vintage. Um, he, um, these people came in with a dog. They had no money. Um, he mashed up um, some cat food with cotton wool um, and fed it to the dog. Um, the theory being that um, the cotton wool would, you know, uh, tr- and get entrapped around the the. This particular dog had a. Um, uh, a lure with um, sort of like a triple hook on it, um, and I said, "Oh no, you've got to chop that out. You're going to have to tell these people that they're going to they have to find the money to open the dog up." But no, he fed it um, whiskers and uh, uh, a, uh, a handful of cotton uh, wadding mixed in, um, and I was going to say a swear word, but um, <laughs> bugger me if um, he, um, uh, you know. Uh, 14 hours later, the dog passed a, a stinky poo with uh, a lot of cotton wool in it and the hook. So um, so there are other techniques um, that maybe not with the same success rate as uh, um, a laparotomy for those ones in the intestine, but um, I certainly yes. would be patient, I think, um, uh, while um, euthanasia for some of our wildlife, if the hook gets to the point where it's caused serious damage, is entirely appropriate. If you've got a healthy animal... Um, I think watching for a little while can be an ultimately rewarding experience. And I think I won't be running out to buy a massive amount of cotton wool, Mark, for the next case that comes in because I'm a little bit worried that may be an issue. Now, the final comment I have, Mark, or question I have, Mark, which is a bit of a controversial one, is um, perhaps if we um, if we um, didn't have as many fishing hooks out there, um, we've I think been, I think it, many. Um, and what's your thoughts about um, kiss and release for fishing? <laughs> um, I, I, when I was a younger man, I I have to be honest and say I enjoyed um, wetting a line. Um, I was a bloody awful fisherman, to be honest. I look back now and crikey's, as a survivalist, I would make well. I'd be headed to an early grave, I think. Um, so, but I liked fishing because it was sort of in the wild and, you know, immersed in nature and, and contemplative and reflective. Um, I suppose I've got other things that let me have those things. And and I do worry about, um, there's a lot of evidence now that those fish that are caught uh, have a huge amount of stress in the fight to be captured. Um, they often have serious injury to the structure of their mouth that makes them less able to um, feed. And so ultimately, even though you've given them a kiss and indicated your affection for them, 
um, and the respect for the battle they've put up, I think a lot of those fish end up not making the grade and dying in probably a slow and painful death. So I must admit, I've given the rod and reel game away um, and I won't be a party to it anymore. Well, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And funnily enough, we did, um, when I was younger, I used to go out fishing a bit with my father and um, a couple of my brothers as well, and I seemed to enjoy it. It's that, I think it's, that, it's a bit like taking up a hobby like you do now, um, and, and I do um, less frequently, um, photography, where you're just using that hobby is an excuse to get out there and just um, spend a bit of time in nature and just a um, um, bit of downtime um, rather than looking on your uh, on your phone or your emails, etc. Um, and it's a good thing if it can, if we can do those sort of hobbies, Mark, um, without um, harming some of these other creatures. There, yeah. So, um, yes, the hooks. Um, they're difficult to deal with, Mark. Um, I tell you what, if I, whenever I see it, an animal that comes into the clinic that has a suspected um, hook inside it somewhere, um, I start to get a bit of a headache and I reach for a, a bit of caffeine straight away, Mark, um, to try and work out that particular case. So I don't think there's any simple answer for these ones, is there? No, I think you're exactly right. And um, I share your... Uh um reaching for a little bit of um uh, one of those melbourne cups of coffee and uh reaching for magic <laughs> we a love magic our magic coffee. yes well i think with that we um well we haven't solved we haven't got any ma ma magic or solutions for um fish hooks in animals but um i think we all realize how problematic they are to deal with and um I suppose we've given a couple of little tips there about um, cotton wool, etc., Mark, and, and using pipes um, to try and remove them. Um, but I think one of the key keys is, uh, or a key is, um, thinking about the fact that this hook may have been embedded in that animal for um, a long period of time, which some of them are, that, and it may not be causing great distress to the animal. So we need to try and differentiate those ones from the ones that will cause the demise of the animal and we need to try and our best heroic efforts to try and remove it from that from that animal and i think with that mr outro is here and we will talk to you all next week thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.